Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Hey, my name is Pastor Jeremy. Let me pray as we continue. Father, oh, Lord, you are beautiful and you are great. The things you do are absolutely amazing. We can't even fathom your power and your might. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. I think there's an image coming up. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I've been banished from your sight The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. But you, O Lord, brought my life out of the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. And my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. And the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah out onto dry ground. What is the question that we should ask ourselves at the onset of every single problem in life? Is there just one question that is really comprehensive enough to cover them all? Today we're going to look at a story about a very violent storm. Storm in which there was a sea or a maritime voyage. The sailors who were on board were sore afraid and Someone was sleeping below deck. At his arousing, it was discovered what was necessary to stop the storm. And as soon as that was done, the waters were still. And everyone knew that this had to be an act of God. What story am I talking about this morning? I suppose if you're familiar with the Bible, you might say Jonah. Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and Jonah's God, or however you refer to it. But in fact, you know already probably that I'm talking about a different story this morning, one found in Mark chapter 4. And it's not the story of Jonah, but the story of a better Jonah. Mark chapter 4 reads like this, verse 35. Feel free to watch on the screen. These are authentic pictures. Uh, This is a genuine replica of a boat that was discovered on the shore of Galilee in 1986. So archaeologists have pretty much determined this is exactly what a boat from that time period would look like. So here's a few pictures for you as we read the text. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. 
And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Then he turned to rebuke them. And he said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned just a few moments ago, this is, I suppose, a New Testament scholar's playground because of where it's located physically, historically, geographically, etc. We have all kinds of information. If I was to expound to you the text of some more ancient or dated literature in the Old Testament, there might be less for me to draw upon, but because this is New Testament, because of Sea of Galilee, because there's active, ongoing, living civilizations at this place at this time, we have all kinds of information from this era. And so there's a lot of things I could explain to you. I mean, when I started researching this, I looked at all the information. It was almost overwhelming. People want to know about Jesus. Even if they want to destroy the myth or the legend of Christ, they really want to know about Jesus. There's all kinds of information. So I could explain to you things, like I said earlier, for example, if you want to know about a boat in that era, there was a boat in 1986 that was discovered on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's 26 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet high. Carbon technology dates it between 120 BC and 40 AD. It was propelled by four rowers, has a capacity of about 15 people. Um, the one found on the shore corresponds exactly to some ancient mosaics. Those are like tile pictures that people would make since they're not painting or using their iPhones or anything else. As a result, they can compare what they found in the mud to what they have on the wall, and it exactly matches, and they're 100% sure this is the type of boat that Jesus would have gone into. So I can explain to you the boat But I cannot explain to you how in the world the maker of the universe who holds it in his hand is carried in this tiny little thing. I can explain to you the cushion that's in the front of the boat and how a small little boat like that would need a ballast against the waves and how it was probably filled with sand and made a natural place for him to recline on. And yet I cannot explain to you how someone who is omnipotent can actually get tired. I have no idea how that works. I can explain to you the storm. I can tell you that the Sea of Galilee is surrounded on three sides by giant cliffs. That makes sense. And at the opening of the Jordan River, where its tributary source comes in, there's no hill or nothing. And as a result, the winds can flow right through there like a funnel. And all of a sudden, giant storms come up instantly. 
But I cannot explain to you how one would stop like that. I can explain to you many things about the topography and the history and the setting. But what I cannot explain is the miracle that happened. We can look at the sailors and we can see from their experience how they could understand the difference between a passing Storm and a life-threatening situation. And yet so much of it we do not understand. There are three Greek words here that are pretty cool. One, Actually, there's one word that occurs three times. It's called mega. You've seen me illustrate this word before when I brought the mega nerf guns out on the stage. If you look at this Greek word in the text, you'll see that there are three great things. Does anybody have any idea what those three great things are? A great what? Storm, there's one. What comes on after that? A great calm. And after that, a great fear. There are all kinds of great things in this story, but there is truly only one that is the best. And it is the best which brings the fear and causes the others. And that is truly great. What's the point, Pastor Jeremy? There's a lot of information there. Where are you going with all of this? Well, let me show you. Here's the point, I think. There's really only one question in this text. And that question is the same one that we need to ask ourselves each and every day. It's not, what is the topography? It's not, what is the boat? It's not, what is the Greek word? But the question is this. When the storm hits you, do you respond in fear or in faith? When the storm hits you, how do you respond? In fear or in faith? This is the question that Jesus asked the sailors in and around verse 40. I think we have a slide of it here with a couple bullet points I'd love to show you. It says, the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid Have you no faith? The juxtaposition, the contrast, the antithetical parallelism, the point he's trying to make here is there are two different ways to respond. And in fact, only two different ways to respond. And that's in fear or in faith. Now, hang on there a minute, Pastor Jeremy. I'm a guy, so I don't really get afraid. (laughs) I don't fear much. I ain't afraid. I'm just mad. Because my lawnmower broke. I'm not afraid. The stupid lawnmower. Mm. I ain't afraid of my lawnmower. It's not going to hurt me. What are you talking about? Well, here's the thing. Actually, believe it or not, guys, you might be afraid. Mm. Yeah, even when your lawnmower breaks. Let me walk this through a few incidents with you. And 
it's funny. I mean, my I'm just going to give a little inside information. My sermon outline is terrible this week. It's so sloppy. But it's because I landed upon or discovered this truth that was absolutely enrapturing or twisting or turning up my soul. I couldn't pull myself away from it. And I'm like, no, that can't be true. Let me test it on this. No, no, that's not enough. Let me test it on this. Okay, wait, wait. And everything I came to was the same thing. No, it actually works. And so I dare you. No, I challenge you this week to try this too. If you come into a situation, any situation, I don't care what it is. Doesn't matter. You ask yourself this question. What am I afraid of? And in fact, in that moment, you may find the source of your anxiety, of your struggle, of your emotion. Let me show you how it works with the lawnmower. Let's say, okay, the lawnmower breaks. Arr, man, oh, I'm so mad. I'm not feeling fear. I'm feeling anger, right? Well, actually, hold on. Wait a minute. Let's just say, Pastor Jeremy, what are you afraid of? Well, I've only got an hour to do the lawn. And then I've got this, and then I've got that, and I really intended to get this done, and now I won't, and therefore I won't have time at the end of the week, and if I don't, then it's going to mess up everything else. Okay. That's it, then. That's what you're afraid of. You're not trusting God for his control over time. See, you have all these limitations and felt needs and Things that other people have imposed upon you that you need to do in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, you're not being good enough. And if kids ask you to play catch, you say, no, I can't. They're going to be like, oh, dad, you'll feel bad. And then this and that and this and that. And I realize I'm actually afraid. I'm afraid that if I don't get it done in this amount of time, I won't have the chance. And it'll look sloppy. And then what will the neighbors think? I'm afraid of what the neighbors will think. I'm afraid of what my kids will say. I'm afraid of what my wife might say. You know, she's actually back in the nursery volunteering today. Took one of the sermons to heart. Way to go, hon. So I can say, like, anything now. It's like, (laughs) actually, maybe not. It's recorded, and I got two boys sitting here, too. But here's the thing. Yeah, it'll get back. Here's the thing. Look, if the lawnmower breaks, there's not a lot of options. I mean, I could fix it. Or I could ask a favor and then owe somebody. Or I could spend money. None of those are really good options. I can get, and and here's the thing that I struggle with. Look, I joke about it, but it's real. Like, I don't know how to fix stuff. And so I get like upset at myself. Like, I should know how to do that. Why? I don't know, because guys should know how to do that. There's something wrong with me. I can't fix stuff. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And if I... Going it far enough, I realize there's really a much deeper fear here than just not getting the lawn mowed today. There's a much bigger issue going on. I'm beating myself up over some internal insecurity that I, I have that I can't overcome. I'm not going to become a mechanic or an engineer. It's just never going to happen. So what's the issue? Well, I need to get over my insecurity. I'm afraid of actually looking at myself in the mirror and saying, you stink at fixing things and just get over it. That's real. And that could be hurtful. And I don't want to face that. So I pretend that I'm mad at the lawnmower. Well, what if, let's say I, I avoid that issue and I say, okay, now I'm, 
I know I can't fix stuff. I'm just going to go pay somebody. Then I have to tell my wife, there's an additional expense that I didn't budget or plan for, and this is going to mess things up, and I'm really sorry. I'm afraid that I'm going to blow the budget. See, I got all kinds of fears wrapped up in that lawnmower that I didn't even realize, and the reality is this. I can pretend to be mad. I can pretend to be big, mean, tough man, but I'm just a scared little whatever. I'm afraid to look at myself and see what's really there. I'm afraid to ask for help from somebody else. I'm afraid to trust God for my provision for our finances. I'm afraid on so many fronts, it's not even funny. And you can do that with so many things. Like, for example, somebody's comment. Will that hurt me? Why? Well, there might be a little truth in there. And sure, they said it in anger and they over-exaggerated and it's not all true. And you had reason for doing what you did. But really underneath, you know that part of what they said is true and you don't want to see it and that hurts. You're afraid to admit that part of that was actually true. You're afraid. What about this? I'm frustrated with my day, or I'm impatient with this person, or I'm bothered by the mess. Why am I bothered by the mess? Because then I feel like chaos will overtake my life, and I like order. I want to feel that things are in place, and if they're not, then I am scared. Run it through anything. I dare you this week. I mean, most of the time, we don't associate um, our emotions with that level of simplicity. We may say, oh, this is this emotion, or this is this emotion. But let me wager, or let me make a guess, or let me make a proposal to you that, in fact, many of our emotions are driven by fear. Even if it's not the emotion, fear. Anger, anxiety, whatever else. I think it's driven by fear. And so when you come into a situation, even if you say, hey, I don't feel fear, still ask yourself, what am I afraid of here? Am I afraid of the fact that my money might run out before me? Am I afraid of, and you can go on and on and on. There's so many things to fear. It's the reality of our world. Why do I get so upset about this politician or this or that? Because I'm afraid that if they then... All the way through, we're afraid. The point of this teaching, I believe, is that slide. Let's show it to them one more time because I really want to hammer this in. The question when we come into a storm is, why are we afraid? There it is. What are you afraid of? What's driving this fear? That has so consumed you, and the contrasting response then is faith. Now, disciples have a lot to learn, and Jesus is right to ask them this question. Understand that when I was reading the text, I intentionally ad libbed a little bit, and I said, He rebuked the wind and the waves, and then He rebuked them. He did. They rebuked Him first, but this isn't a tit for tat. They're coming into the situation frustrated and desperate and you hear that in the rudeness of their response here's an insight if somebody is speaking to you rudely guess what that means they're frustrated and desperate they're not getting what they want and they're afraid and something's going to blow up and therefore they're transferring it and taking it out on you it's a lack of faith 
And that's what the disciples are doing here. They're like, man, as if it was, well, they don't really understand. It actually was Jesus's fault. But at that point, they're like, if they don't get that this storm, they would think that this is just a natural cause. And if this is a natural cause, then they can't blame him for that. This one we find out is unnatural. But here's the thing. Then they come in, they're like, don't you know, teacher, we're going to drown. If you would just get up and help, then maybe we wouldn't. You know, everybody, all hands on deck. You're failing. But here's the thing. Jesus has already done a lot of rebuking in the book of Mark. Huh? What do you mean? Well, he's rebuked sickness. He's rebuked demons. He's even rebuked death. At this point, if you go through a study of the harmony of the Gospels, like one of our small churches is, Travis Jones, then you will see what's happened up until this point in the narrative. And what is transpiring then is Jesus is essentially saying to them, guys, don't you know me? After all we've been through up until this point, haven't you some clue of who we are? Of who I am. Jesus is saying, look, I've rebuked demons and they run away. I've rebuked sicknesses that have never had any potential for cure whatsoever. I've rebuked even death itself. And now watch this. I'm going to rebuke you and I'm going to rebuke the wind and the waves. When Jesus, the healing physician, Pulls out his scalpel and starts cutting to the heart. Nothing can stop that. Disciples, they get this rebuke and they're like, wow. Who is this? Who is this that when he says stuff, it happens? See, I can imagine being on the sea, but I can never imagine being on the sea with the maker of the sea. I can imagine all these things in my mind, but I still don't. Understand how this happened. And so I got to bring it down a little bit. And I think what I can do here in the next 15 minutes is bring it down for me and for us and then take it right back up. And this is how. The issue is fear versus faith. Fear versus faith. Disciples and us are both wondering who is this guy in the bottom of the boat. Whatever he says happens. And yet when the storms come, I'm still afraid So what do I do, Pastor Jeremy? You've told me that when a storm comes into my life, I ask the question, hmm, what am I afraid of? Is that going to fix it? I mean, I'm going to identify it like that, and then boom, I'm better? Does that mean I don't have to go through it? Does that mean Jesus is going to stop the storm and it's all done? None of that. Let me show you how this works. Bringing it down several layers. How many of you... Have ever, feel free to raise your hand, have have ever been invited out to lunch before? Hands? Anybody? Okay. Someone buy, go ahead and keep them up. This is, it's okay. You can do it. Not bad. All right. We all have our hands raised in church now. Amen. Hallelujah. Good. Now, if there's somebody who didn't raise their hand, you need to buy them lunch today. And besides that, okay, you can put your hands down. Good job. Uh, besides that, here's the thing. I want you to jump into this illustration with me. I don't know. Jim and Jan Bo, are you here this morning? They're not here. Oh, wait, they are. Can I use you as an illustration? Okay, good. 
got permission. Permission granted. Here's the thing. Bringing it down. What is the difference between fear and faith? And how will this make sense in your life? Jim and Jambo, actually mostly Jan, invited our family over for dinner one night. Now, if you've been invited out for lunch, there's, I don't know, sort of this unstated cultural rule that the person who invited you might potentially offer to pick up the tab, right? Hey, man, we should go grab some lunch. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, all right. You know, and if you know each other well, that's not a thing, and you can go Dutch, no big deal. But if it's a first date, more than likely they're going to pay, and then after that we'll see, right? So you kind of get this in the back of your mind. So there are people who, if they invite you, there's there's a couple different kinds of people. One is the kinds like, yeah, we should do that, and then they never follow through. And then there's the other that follows through and pays. And then there's the other like Jan. And the way Jan is, is she says it, she's going to follow through. But not only will she follow through, but she's going to like, okay, we should have you over. Okay, we're going to pay for your babysitter. And not only are we going to pay for your babysitter, but before we go out to eat, come over to our house for a little bit. And we think, okay, we're just going to, you know, tour the place. No, 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 no. She's got her whole table spread with cheese and salami and drinks and bacon wrap stuff and all that yummy. And you're like, whoa, I thought we were going out to rest. Well, yeah, this is just the appetizers. You know people like that. You're probably sitting next to them. Okay, and so you eat and you're feeling full and you're like, man, this is good. And then she takes you out to the restaurant. It so happens that their favorite table is reserved and the waitress knows you're coming and they order all kinds of stuff that you would never order if you were paying on your own. And then they're like, oh, and you want dessert too. And by this time you're like, and they're like, yeah, come on, we'll take two of those. (laughs) Oh my. And then you think you're done, but yet you're not. And you're going over to her house afterwards for coffee and conversation. And by the end of the day, you're like, wow, that was amazing. And you know people like this. You know, I'm having fun with Jim and Jan, but you know there are people who love to host and are extremely generous. And what happens is the more you get to know them, the more you rely on them and you trust their character. So in that situation, somebody invites you out to lunch. You all raised your hand. You should be able to identify. Someone invites you out to lunch. How do you feel towards that invitation? If this is a person that you know is going to follow through, you might leave your wallet at home that day. And you might even start thinking about what you're going to order the next day. You look at the menu at the restaurant and you're like, I'll take the steak. I'm going big or going home and this is going to be a good day because you know that person's going to follow through. And if you're going to a date with that person and you know what they're like, you better come hungry. You see, faith is not some mystical spiritual force that the pastor talks about that says, just muster it up. And you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Faith is this. There's content. And it's based on a person. And what you know of that person determines what you will do. What you believe about them. How much you trust them will actually determine your behavior. And so if you're going to lunch with Jan, you're like, all right, I better come hungry. And Jesus is saying to the disciples at this point, look, we've been through so much. 
Don't you guys even know me? Don't you know me enough to trust me? Haven't you seen enough at this point? See, if Jesus is the bread of life, you'd better come hungry. Because he will fill you up to the brim like nobody else. You can order steak and drink and dessert and happy and whatever you want, and it's just going to keep coming because God's grace is limitless. Christ, the omnipotent, the omniscient, the ever-present is sitting in the bottom of the boat, and these guys are afraid. That just doesn't make sense. It should not work that way. They should be like, sweet, we're having a party. Here's a storm. This is awesome. Let's see what Jesus is going to do. Wind and waves, no big deal. He sits enthroned above the heavens. Why would we ever be afraid of that? You see, here's what happens in pagan culture. There's these storm gods. There's Baal. There's all this other stuff. And there's Jesus. He's not even worried about them. He's asleep. Think of it like this. Here's one more bringing it down, and then I'll bring it back around. There's a really funny Pepsi commercial that my kids like to watch. It's called Uncle Drew. Zion, are you listening? All right, you know the Uncle Drew thing. What happens is this, is there's these basketball courts in inner city urban area that are really famous for their aggressive style of play. So people who didn't make it to the NBA because they got into trouble or former college players or whoever, they go down there and they just play hard. So there's a lot of people that come and watch because some of the stuff that goes on is pretty amazing. And as it turns out, Pepsi, in collaboration with this guy by the name of Kyrie Irving, who's like an NBA awesome all-star, decide they're going to pull a little prank. And they get the professional makeup artist. And people like do movies and stuff. And they turn this 20-something amazing basketball player into an ancient elderly figure. They put on the facial plaster and the white hair and everything else. And he goes down to the court and he's walking around all crippled and stuff. And then their plant on the team gets hurt and he needs a sub. And then they invite this guy in. And some of the people are looking at him like, what in the world? Is this, is this a joke? What's going on? And first few plays, you know, he just doinks it on purpose and messes up. And all of a sudden he does a little dribble, dribble. People are like, What? And all of a sudden, he does a little more dribble-dribble. And before long, he's shooting threes and slam-dunking and going crazy all over the place. And people are just laughing. They know it's a joke at that point. They're like, what in the world just happened? Who is this guy? Oh, it's Kyrie Irving. Not who you thought. Here's what's happening in the bottom of the boat, folks. There's these disciples, these fishermen. And they don't really know who they have. Inside their boat. And guess what? Church. We don't really know who we have. Inside of us. Augustine. One of the early church fathers. Poetically says it like this. You will never know his power. Until you awaken the sleeping Christ. Within you. How will you ever experience. The power of God. If you don't call on him. 
Here is omniscient, omnipotent, almighty power latent inside of you. And we don't even ask. What is going on? Church, don't you know him? Don't we know him well enough to trust him? Why are we so afraid? Have we still no faith? We've seen Jesus do a lot of stuff. We should know better by now. One commentator says it like this. It's absolutely beautiful. A guy by the name of Marcus, he says, look, the surging chaos, it's all around them. What's happening is Jesus is teaching them to instead fix their gaze on him. Similarly, in light of the, this vision, the wild opposition of demons and human beings is seen not to be a deadly serious thing that first appears, but instead it is worthy of disbelieving and shaking the head. How can the rulers dare to set themselves against the living God? Do they not know who they oppose? Mark's dis- description of the invincible power of Jesus is designed to summon in us the divine laughter brought forth in the Psalms. How do the nations rage? How dare the devil even try? Don't you know? Don't you understand? Have you no faith? Have you not seen? Have you not heard? He's the everlasting God. Christ is inside of you. Christ is inside of you. That is power. Unstoppable power. How can we experience it but to call on him? Here's the question, regardless of what's, regardless of what's going on in our lives. I know there's a lot of terrible things. doesn't mean that instantly Jesus' hand is going to come down upon you and do a miracle. He could, but it doesn't mean that. This is what it's trying to say. The question is, when the storm comes, are you responding in fear or in faith? There's your question. Are you responding in fear and faith? And you know by the emotions that come your way. And if it is fear, then you ask yourself, what am I afraid of? And then once you discover that, you put it right next to Jesus and say, okay. Which is bigger? I'm afraid that I won't get all my work done today. I'm afraid that this sermon won't be any good. I'm afraid that I'll wander and get stuck on tangents. I'm afraid that they'll say, is Jesus bigger than time? Absolutely. Is Jesus bigger than my limited resources or ability? Absolutely. What am I afraid of? Every single question that we have comes down to that. Our faith is not some mystical, spiritual, imaginary thing, but instead it's based on content, the content of Christ. Knowing him better will increase our faith. And then when you do, you'll find that his words to the disciples and to the lake applies to us as well. Peace. Be still. It's okay. God's got this. He's the better Jonah. He's the better everything. We read from Jonah at the beginning, and here's the thing. The sign of Jonah is this. 
Jonah goes into the belly of the whale for how long? Three days, three nights. And the earth barred him in. Jesus goes down into the earth for three days and three nights. God brings them both forth with incredible power. I don't really even know how to wrap this up. But I want to say this. Look, Jesus is a better Jonah. And I want to ask the question that Jesus is asking. Why are you so afraid? Why? What are you afraid of? Are you responding in fear? Or are you responding in faith? That is the only question to ask this week. When you find that thing that you're afraid of, I challenge you to put it right next to Jesus and say, is he bigger? Is Jesus bigger than your storm? Father, I thank you and praise you, Lord. I know there's a lot here. And uh, we're out of time. You're not, Lord. You are infinite. Your resources are limitless. You are beyond explanation. And there's none like you. And so, Lord, we just praise you. We just end up in praise. We, we fear you. We cry out with the disciples, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Lord, I pray that in my life, in our life, in our church's life, when we run into anything, that you will cause us to cast our eyes on you and fear nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.